Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. Open, our, open your Bibles to Psalm 100, please. Psalm 100. We're going to get back into John, our study through John, next Sunday. But this first Sunday of 2022, we're going to be looking at Psalm 100. As you're finding that, let me mention something to you that I, I think, uh, think might encourage you and help us all this morning. Uh, I want you to know, young parents, that I am very, very glad that your children are in the room today. I remember being the parent of a younger child and that being a difficult uh, hour and a half or so on Sundays like this. But we're so thankful that you're here. There are scores of people who do not have the benefit that your children do to be born into a family that loves Jesus and is bringing your child to church. And so it is okay if your child is a little wiggly and a little whiny. It's okay. And for the rest of us that have raised children and are looking a little bit optimistically back on our years as young parents and giving ourselves a little bit more credit and thus suffering from a little lack of patience, let's relax a little bit. Now, I will say this. Like everything, there's a little balance in life. Okay? There's a little balance. And so if your child gets a little fussy, be aware of that. And if they continue on that mode for, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds, maybe a little longer, it's appropriate to take your child out into the floor. Or we have an overflow room where the service is going on right next door in classroom A, and you're welcome to do that. And for those of us that have been there, one thing you can do to bless that young mother or father is not give off that kind of impatient energy. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? It's just not helpful. <laughs> It's not. Doesn't help that young mom. Doesn't help you. Doesn't help any of us. Doesn't help it if that young mom is completely unaware. But it's a balance. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a balance. But praise God for children. Praise God for children. You are so welcome here. There are so many people who do not grow up in a place where mom and dad take them to church and where the word is taught. So let's enjoy our time together as a family. Amen? Because the kids are in here, I think I'll start with a little nursery rhyme. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> okay, eager group. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. I didn't expect that. <laughs> what does it mean to be happy? We say at this time of the year, Happy New Year, as just kind of a social grace. But do you know that the scriptures... In fact, our psalm today, I think, actually 
commands us to be happy. Not just to say Happy New Year, and not just to wish on some sort of platitude that maybe if things line up for us that we will be happy. We are commanded to be happy, but what does it mean to be happy? Well, for most of us, I think, if we're honest, we have found happiness to be a little bit more elusive than that nursery rhyme makes it out to be. But what do I mean by happiness? A biblical understanding of happiness and joy. I do not mean a transient mood based on changing circumstances, whatever they may be, a a good marriage, a well-behaved child, a bonus from the boss, good weather, or, or whatever it may be. I do not believe that it is something that can come from anything outside of us in this world, any accolade or worldly success. Jeremiah Burroughs, a a Puritan pastor back in the 1600s, wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, or we can use that as a synonym for happiness. And he said that Christian happiness or contentment is a, a rare jewel. It's a quiet, gracious frame of spirit which submits to God's fatherly disposition towards us in any and all circumstances. The Apostle Paul defines it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Biblical happiness, biblical joy, Christian joy is a kind of unshakable resolve that we know who we are in Christ and we know what our future is. Now, my conviction for this new year is that I want to be a happier Christian. And I want us to be a happier church. Nehemiah says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I know we've mentioned this a lot over the past 18 months, now coming up on two years, and I don't want to say it too much because it just becomes one of those things that we say, but it has been a challenging season for many of us, for all of us on some level or another these past almost two years. I remember in March of 2020, I was in South Africa when the world shut down in this global pandemic and coming up in this March, Lord willing, I will be traveling back to that same church in South Africa to speak to those dear saints again and it has been almost two years and there has been a kind of cloud over us for a variety of reasons. But the call, regardless of the circumstances, for the Christian is to happiness, to joy. And so I want us to think about what it means and how we can be happy. Let me read Psalm 100, one of the most well-known psalms in the Bible. It was sung often as a song in the life of Israel and through the history of the Christian church in the New Testament and the New Covenant in modern days. In fact, 
It was one of the songs that Charles Spurgeon in his church in London in the mid-1800s sang the most, and he would say often to his congregation, let us sing the old hundredth, and they would sing this song. This is what the psalmist writes. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let me pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we want to be happy in you. I think this psalm points us in that direction. It gives us a basis for Christian happiness. May we discover this rare jewel this morning as we stare at this text. May you encourage us. May you bless the young and the old. May you help us see Christ. May we enjoy our time together as a family. And Lord, thank you for any friends that are gathered here this morning that may not yet know you. I pray that you'd encourage them and bless them and open their eyes to the beauty of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we move on, and I just want to go through two truths that I think this psalm gives us about happiness, how to be happy in a sense, is I want you to see the structure of this psalm. It's one of the shorter psalms in the Bible, just five verses, but it's a kind of parallel. There's, there's something that happens. It's a kind of repeat of a kind of poetic form. In the first three verses, the, the psalmist is giving us three commands. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Why? Because the, the Lord is God. So he's giving us three exhortations and one reason, because the Lord is God. And then in verses four and five, he repeats that pattern. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Three exhortations. Why? Verse four, verse five, for the Lord is good. So there's a pattern there, a simple pattern, an exhortation. Be happy in a sense. Be joyful. Why? Because you can know that the Lord is good. So two truths I want us to see in this psalm as we enter into this new year about how we can be happy. First is this is that true joy, happiness, contentment, whatever phrase you want to use, true joy can only be found in knowing the Lord. Well, that sounds simple enough, but let's dig a little bit deeper. I want you to see what the psalmist is calling us to. He's even actually commanding us. This is an imperative. It's a command form. He's commanding us. This is the Holy Spirit writing through the psalmist, commanding us to be happy. Look at verse one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now this is often used as a kind of funny little thing that we say when Christians get together and some can't sing and some people say, well, I can make a, a joyful noise. Well, we're gonna, Lord willing, gather tonight and we're gonna sing some hymns a cappella, and, and you may have an opportunity like me to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, oftentimes, 
Uh, I, will I will feel the musically gifted people in my family that sit next to me in the front row sort of look at me like, what, do you, what, what, what you're in? I don't even know what a key is, but apparently I can be in and out of it at times. But this verse isn't so much talking about singing in a congregation. It means it has this sense of a glad, glad shout of a loyal subject when their king appears. It's an exclamation of worship. And he commands us to make this joyful noise. And then he says to serve, to, to actually work, to do something. Serve the Lord with gladness. And note this word service and, and how we are prone in our church culture to turn this word upside down. We call our gatherings worship services, and I think that's appropriate. But let's not subconsciously turn this upside down as if we are to be served when we come, but we are here to serve the Lord. We come to offer him a sacrifice of praise. We come to bow down to him. We come to encourage one another. And by bowing down and making a noise to him and serving him and focusing on him, we as a sweet byproduct are served as we serve the Lord. He commands us to come into his presence with singing to come together to sing. That's why Christians sing. We are commanded to do it. God gives us a songbook. He gives us truths and the outflow of a heart that has been rescued by the Lord is a heart that sings regardless of whether or not you have a good voice or any musical ability. And there's one thing I love about this word presence there in verse two. Come into his presence this, this word means not just the general vicinity of God, but come to his face. Come into the presence of his face like a little child putting its little hands on the cheeks of its father and looking at his or her father in the eyes. Come to the face of the Lord with singing. And then he commands us in verse four to enter, to come into his gates, to draw near to God, to come to him with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The picture here is of a celebration. So if you're a Christian, you are part of the choir of every local church. Now, we don't have a formal choir here with robes and a choir loft, and I am not against that. I think that's a wonderful thing. But we are all, regardless, part of a kind of local church choir where we come together with thanksgiving and we sing and we pray and we preach and all of it is a cacophony of noise that we are to gather together and give to the Lord. We're to give thanks to him and to bless his name. Now notice the psalmist does not qualify any of this contingent upon any external circumstance. It's just a command for all of life every day. But notice, notice what are the grounds for this joy and gladness and singing and thanksgiving and blessing of the Lord's name. What are the joy, the grounds for this joy that we bring? Why can this psalmist so clearly call us to this attitude? 
Well, notice again the structure. There's this command, why? Verse three, look at verse three again. Do these things, why? Because you know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So you can do these things, you can be happy because and only if you know the Lord. Now this word knowing carries with it all sorts of depth. It, it, it has this sense of knowing the Lord by experience, like truly knowing the Lord. Now there's, there's things that you just kind of know about and then there's things that you've really experienced um, uh, and just a picture of this for you is that back in 1989, when I was a freshman, I was a plebe at the United States Military Academy, we had to take boxing as a class. I don't know if any of you West Pointers here, I don't even know if you have to take boxing anymore. I don't know if the, if the core has gone so bad and so soft that it, maybe, maybe they just hand out, you know, fruit punch for PE in these days. I don't know what they do. But back in my day, <laughs> back in my day, we had to take boxing as a PE requirement your freshman year. Now, ever since, I had an older brother, and he used to give it to me every now and again, and I, I generally had a sense that getting hit in the face didn't feel very good. But I, you know, I just kind of knew that. My brother, although he did give me a hard time, he never actually hit me in the face. But I just had a sense from watching enough boxing matches on TV, back in the days of, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvis, Marvin, Marvin Hagler and Tommy, I just had a sense that it didn't feel very good to get a hit in the face with another man's fist. But I didn't really know it until my first bout of my plebe year at the United States Military Academy where I was teamed up against this short little fire hydrant of a young man from Brooklyn, New York, who happened to be the gold gloves boxing champion for his borough of New York City. <laughs> and then my theoretical knowledge of what it might be like to get hit in the face by another man's hand became actual lived experience. And I got hit in the nose and, and it was not pleasant. There's a knowing here that the psalmist is calling us to. This is what Paul means in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 where he says, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced, I'm persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The call here, the reason that the psalmist can unashamedly, without any nod to any circumstance, can say to us, be happy, is because if you know the Lord, if you really know him, and it surpasses any external circumstance, you can serve the Lord with joy. To know the Lord in this way. And this knowing is, is not just because he's the creator. It says we are his people. We're the sheep of his pastures. So we don't just have this theoretical knowledge about God's power as if he's able to do something, but it has been appropriated by us by faith and we know Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus says in John 10 verse 11, speaking of this analogy of sheep in a, in a pasture, he says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for 
for the sheep. So what does it mean essentially to know God biblically? It is to know what he has done for you through his son that came and lived a perfect life where all of us have disobeyed him. Jesus, God the son in the flesh, came down and laid down his life to ransom, to rescue, to reconcile sheep. We were wandering outside of the pasture and Jesus rescued us and he paid our debt on the cross and he made us his and he laid down his life for the sheep. That's what it means to know God, to trust in the good shepherd who is the only door into the pasture of God. And that's what the psalmist is basing his command on. He repeats it in verse 5. He says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations, his, his covenantal love, based on his character, his promise to rescue a people, he cannot go against his own character. And so you can know and trust in this good God. And because of that, you can have an unshakable happiness and joy which is not susceptible to the whims of emotions and moods and circumstances. Do you you see the burden of the psalmist here? He is grounding his command. Now I want you to see this. I want you to feel the force of this. All of the Bible is written to all of God's people. It's all God's word. And we can't just breeze over Psalm 100 and these clear commands as if it's just kind of something to occasionally read during a call to worship. This is God speaking to his people. I am commanded to make a joyful noise, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence. And I'm not just talking about the hour and a half or a couple hours or Sunday night service or a Wednesday night meeting. We're talking about the life of a Christian to live in a posture of joy and we are commanded to do this and do you see, I want you to see before we move on the grounds of this command and it is knowing the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Now before we move on, just a a few thoughts about what can hinder or rob us of our joy what can rob us of this joy well i think this is probably at least one of these three applies to all of us at varying levels varying times in our lives first the kind of hyper focus on circumstances around us and this is this is this is many of us live here we all know about this the world around us we need reminders of of this call to joy because we know the Lord because the world around us is is dragging us down. When I think about this, I think about Psalm 73. I won't take the time to read Psalm 73, but it'll be a wonderful thing for you to read sometime this week. And Psalm 73 is a longer psalm and it's really split into two parts. And in the first part of the psalm, the psalmist is basically lamenting that the world around him is wicked and it seems to be prospering and it is stealing his joy. And he, he doesn't know, he's basically questioning, God, are you there? And in the middle of Psalm 73, he makes this turn. In fact, he makes this confession. And he says, when I thought how to understand the world around me, 
and how my enemies seem to be prospering and how nothing seems to be going my way and how it's dragging me down into this depth of despair. When I think about how to understand this, he says it becomes too wearisome for me. I can't understand it. But he makes a turn midway through the psalm and he says, but when, when I went into the sanctuary of God, when I, when I remembered who God is, then I understood the end. So one way that we are often robbed of our joy and our happiness is by a hyper-focus on the circumstances around us. Politics, pandemics, parenting, stresses of life can all get us down and we need to remember that happiness is not dependent on those things. The second thing that can rob us of our joy is, is, is sin. Sin. I think of Pilgrim's Progress, that wonderful book written by John Bunyan back in the 1600s. It's the most printed book in English in the history of the printing press except for the Bible. And it marks this journey of this man named Christian through the stages of the Christian life. And early on as Christian is starting to be aware of his spiritual state before the Lord. He's, he's carrying this burden on his back, and this burden is representative of sin. And if you've ever seen any illustrations of the Pilgrim's Progress, it's like a big backpack, a big rucksack on Christian's back. And there's this time when he goes into this slaw, this slew of despond, or this, this swamp of despair, and the burden of his sin weighs him down in the quicksand of despond and despair. And that's what sin does to our joy. It's like a rucksack. And any of you that have ever had to do a a rucksack march in the army know that that rucksack, when it's heavy and the journey is long, it weighs you down. And that's what sin will do to our joy. It will rob us of our joy. Thirdly, what can hinder us of our joy and happiness in the Lord is is a kind of self-focus. A kind of sense that, okay, thank the Lord for his salvation, and now I gotta grind it out. I got everything kind of depends on me in the Christian life. A a kind of man-centeredness in the way you go about responding to the Lord. A, A kind of subconscious justification of yourself by how you're doing whether it's parenting whether it's in your job or whether it's even pastoring a church and I want to let you know that I am particularly personally prone to this in fact if you remember this summer when I when I took a sabbatical one of the things I said to you when I came back is that I I think this is an area of particular weakness for me a kind of self-focus, a kind of uh, putting too much weight in my responsibility or ability, which is a kind of pride and idolatry. Thinking that everything depends on you and then feeling like you are carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. Friends, that's that's not just, oh gosh, isn't he just, isn't he? that's not just a, an admirable trait of somebody that wants to work hard. That is idolatry. That's what that is. And it can rob us of our joy 
because we are trying to put ourselves in the place of God who alone can carry our burdens for us. And how does the gospel answer each of these three areas that rob us of our joy? Well, first, this hyper-focus on the world around us. We need to remember that he has promised that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, verse 28 says that all things work together for good. All things, we read from the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, that all things in some way are actually working, are being used by God to serve my ultimate salvation, to wean me from this world and woo me to heaven. So even the circumstances that might threaten our joy are under the sovereign hand of God and are merely being used as a chisel by him to unlock our hands from the counterfeit joys of this world so that we might grab onto the thing that really brings us joy. Secondly, sin. You may find yourself in a, in a slew, a swamp of despond and despair because of some sin in your life, something that you know that maybe nobody else knows about. And it's robbing you of your joy. The gospel calls you to come unto Christ. Jesus himself says, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, for years I've read that verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says that. And he says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think subconsciously I've sort of read that as if Jesus is calling people who are weary from the world that is beating them up, some sort of external circumstance, things that are happening to them. Boy, life isn't fair, and Jesus is just here for you to help you because, boy, you've been treated poorly. Now, on some level, that's true. But often we are heavy laden, not because of anything that has happened to us from the outside, but because of what we have done on the inside. And we are all a mixture of the sin that has been committed against us, but also the sin that we have willfully given ourselves over to. And the call of the gospel is that Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, because of your own sin, because of the things that you have put in your backpack, because of the way that you have walked into that swamp of despair and are weighed down by it, come unto me and I will give you rest, which is another way of saying I will lighten your load, I will take it, and I will free you to be able to experience joy in the Lord. That's how the gospel answers that. And maybe there's somebody in here right now Right now, that's the word that you need to hear that Christ can handle your sin and he is merciful to you if you are trapped in that slough, that swamp of despond and despair of sin. Come unto him. Turn from it. Repent. Find rest. Find joy. Find freedom in Christ. And don't leave this place. Don't leave this place without doing that with the Lord. Maybe find a friend, a trusted brother or sister that you can talk to and that you can confess and be free. And then finally, this self-focus of the Galatians. You know, Paul says to the Galatians, you began in the spirit, but now you're trying to be made perfect in the flesh. And I think about myself like that as a pastor, this sort of sense that everything depends on you. 
Well, how does the gospel answer that? We remember that Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The weight of the world, the weight of your job, the weight of the the future of your child, the weight of your marriage, the weight of this church, the weight of whatever does not rest on you. He has not saved you, dear Christian, to wind you up, to figure out whether or not you will get by and whether or not you will ultimately experience joy. He is our Lord. And we can give it over to him. Just one final, just one final push on this. Friends, joy, real joy, lasting joy, a kind of joy that is not susceptible to situations and circumstances and stock markets and governments and regulations and mandates and all these things that we like or don't like. Real joy can only be found in knowing the Lord, knowing him by experience and trusting in and rehearsing this truth and leaning on it and living from it and preaching it to yourself day after day and surrounding yourself with people who believe it so they can remind you because we need one another. Look, I believe this, but this Thursday, I'm gonna be prone to forget this, and so I need you, and we need each other. Is he precious to you, dear one? Do you know him? Do you love him? If you know the Lord, then you can be happy, a kind of unshakable happiness. Now, how can you know him better if you already know him? How can you know him better in 2022? Well, first, obviously, we think about at the beginning of a new year, we want to recommit ourselves to taking in God's word. Let's take in God's word. Let's do that. I'm using the, the same Bible reading plan that I used last year, reading the Bible five days a week, Monday through Friday. If you're interested in that, just email me. Reach out to anybody on staff. We can get you a good Bible reading plan. It's, it's just a great, it's, it's an essential habit of the Christian life, taking in God's word. Another thing that, that, that I want to encourage you to do is to prioritize community. And what, one thing that has been a burden on my heart is that we as a church need to pray together more. We need to gather together more. And that's the heart behind this Sunday night service that we're starting this evening. And it will be very informal and it will be very simple. And we are going to sing. We're going to pray together and we will hear from the word a brief message from the word not not only me other people will be preaching one of my hopes is that this sunday night service will be an opportunity for other people to exercise and experiment with the gift of possibility of teaching so that we can cultivate a culture where people are exercising their gift in this way but friends we need one another we're going to sing acapella hymns at least starting off And we're going to sing loudly, and we're going to sing together, and some of us are going to sing poorly, but we are going to bless one another. So I I would love for you to come tonight, and I would love for you to sit close to one another, and get to know one another, and have your head on a swivel, and that we as a body would love one another more and spend more time together. This is not in any way to detract from community groups, which I think are wonderful and essential and such a blessing to our church. But there is a call in the Bible for Christians to gather and to gather regularly. And Sunday night services, I think, provide a wonderful opportunity for a kind of family warmth and closeness to develop in the life of a church that I think we could do better.
So, true joy can only be found in knowing the Lord. And then the second truth, and we end with this, and this is the implication of knowing the Lord. Those who know the Lord should serve Him with gladness. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. Think on this for a moment. You have been saved by God, not just to be a a, a Christian in America and sort of pursue comfort, but you have been saved. If you know the Lord, you've been saved to serve Him. And the command is to serve the Lord with gladness. But here's the, here's the wonderful truth, and here's what often holds many of us back is we think, oh, well, okay, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have any gifts. I don't know if I can be used. But he uses us despite our weaknesses and flaws as a kind of average local church to gather together and make much of his name in our city and our place. Uh, I think we all uh, understand that social media has changed us, and I, and I don't mean to bash on this. I, we're all kind of like this, but I, I was chuckling when uh, we were home in California for Thanksgiving, and uh, my brother's daughter had a baby. It's his first uh, grandchild, and um, she, she, this daughter, my niece, has an Instagram page dedicated to pictures of this baby, my great-niece. And I just got to say, this little girl is the cutest thing in the world. She, she right now may be the cutest child in the world until my grandson is born in March. But this little baby, every time her mom puts a picture of her, it's just, she shines. She's just always got a smile on her face. She's just the cutest little thing in the world. She got a lot of a great uncle in her, I guess. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. But we talked to her and we said, we said, Aaron, like, man, Brooke is so cute. And she says, well, she says that for every one picture that I post on there, there's a hundred that I throw away <laughs> that I don't actually post. And that sort of mentality, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not advocating for pay, pay, uh, posting ugly pictures of your baby. Don't, don't do that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> we all do this. I'm not dogging my niece. I'm not dogging you. I'm definitely going to do this when uh, I did this when my children were born, and I'm going to do this when my grandchild is born. I'm only going to post good-looking pictures of my people. But do you understand the subtle play this has on our hearts? We think everything has to be awesome. And it's not. And we bring this into the spiritual life. And we all sort of sense that we're not awesome. And so we don't post our life. And I'm not talking about putting, we don't put our life out there. We don't show ourselves. We don't get into community. We don't, we don't lead the study. We don't get in relationship. We don't disciple the younger Christian. We don't reach out to somebody for lunch because we think that there is a flaw in us. And the truth is there is, and that's part of God's design. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure He's speaking of the gospel, the knowing of the Lord, the knowing who he is through his son Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. We have this treasure, this gospel that has saved us. We have this spirit in us. We have the person and work of Christ. We have Christ in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. 
And what are jars of clay? They're nothing spectacular. They are not shiny crystal um, goblets. They are broken pots. They, are, they, have, they have imperfections. And what these things hold is this treasure. And what's the purpose of putting this beautiful thing in this not so beautiful thing? Paul tells us to show, to display that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us which is the reverse of the psychology of many Christians in our culture, that I've got to present myself, and if I look awesome, then God will look awesome. And that's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying essentially what I think this psalmist is saying, that you can serve the Lord with gladness, you can... You can get outside of yourself because you know the Lord. And because you know the Lord, you're free to be happy and to serve Him with joy. Let's do that this year, dear ones. Let's serve the Lord with joy. How will you consider this? Consider this question. This may be way more important than any other sort of new year question that you may ask yourself how will you serve the lord and his people around you in 2022 how will you serve the lord let's pray lord thank you for this psalm lord help us to be happy in you lord thank you that we can be happy in you through knowing your son jesus christ And thank you, Lord, that even in our imperfections, even in our cracked jars of clay, you put yourself on display, and therefore we are free to serve you with gladness. And I pray that this would be the way we start this year as a church, pursuing happiness in Christ, serving you with gladness and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.